Let's go ahead and turn to Acts 16. And what we're going to do is we're going to break down uh, three sections of Scripture, really talking about this big picture of what God is doing in the book of Acts. I want to lead you with the big idea today is this. No matter what our ethnic, economical, spiritual, or lifestyle has been in the past, we all need to be rescued and redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. What you're going to see today in the text is this really wide scope of people. You're going to see a very successful woman that's, that's an entrepreneur, that's driven, that has wealth, very wealthy, very successful, very influential. Then you're going to see this, this lady who is in bondage, slave, both physically and demonically. And then you're going to see this guy who is somewhat like a, a retired uh, arm, uh, military hero and a man of great prestige, but also a man who struggles maybe with anger and bitterness. And you're going to see how God changes them and redeems them and rescues them. And also I want you to see that it's not just, uh, if you will, makeup, but it's also ethnic background. It's, it's economical. It's all these wide variety. In fact, we see this again from the very beginning of the book of Acts all through uh, Acts 28 is this multi-ethnic, multicultural, um, most economical, whatever background you're from, we see God creating this family unit of bringing all peoples of all nations, of all tongues and tribes together. No matter where you're at, socially, uh, culturally, economically, this is what God is saying. I created all men and women, and I created them to have a relationship. And I'm inviting them to be a part of the kingdom of God. I'm inviting them to be a family member, a son or a daughter of God. So let's look at this first one. This lady's name is Lydia. So we're going to start with verse 11 and go through 15. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and following the day to uh, Neapolis, and from there Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized in her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Think about that person who's just persistent, right? Come on, please, will you just stay? Will you stay, stay? You just, they finally were overwhelmed by her grace and her hospitality that they surrendered to that. But I have to bear with me today. I'm sorry, I'm getting through a little bug, so my throat is really sore this morning. But what we see here is this lady named Lydia. So I want you to think about, when you think about Lydia, I want you to think about a fashion designer. She was a seller of purple clothing. This is not... Nothing wrong with this. I got Walmart brand jeans, okay? But nothing against Walmart, okay? But then we're not talking about Walmart material here, okay? We're talking about high-end clothing that brings in a lot of money. Think about places like New York 
and Paris, who are the fashion centers of the world, right? This is what Lydia is because she probably has homes in two places here, a place from Thyatira and a place in Philippi, and she is wealthy. She's influential. Um, she's also a God-fearer, so she's a moral person, probably a very conservative person. But we also know that even though she's, if you will, in church, in a Bible study, maybe even watching Beth Moore at the time, right? Or Shrilla, uh, Shrilla I'm sorry, Priscilla, thank you. Dyslexic, sorry. Priscilla Schreier, okay? Uh, th this is what we see. We do not see her surrender to God yet, right? We do not say, see her putting her yes on the table to Jesus. We do not see her giving her life to Christ yet. We see this very wealthy, successful entrepreneur, but still searching for more. Think about that. See, I think many times, even us as Christians, we fall in this idea that we think wealth, success, fame, status can bring us peace with God and bring us peace in our life. And it's powerless to do so. It's absolutely powerless. So I want to encourage you today to understand that there may be people here this morning, you may have success. You may have wealth. You may have power and prestige. You may even have fame. And we look around the people in our culture that have that. Do you understand they're just still searching? I'll, I'll never forget the time when Tom Brady won his third Super Bowl. How many has he won now? Six? Six? He said after that, after he had the, uh, all the celebration and everything, he made this quote, there's got to be more to life than this. Think about that. A guy who's won more Super Bowls in NFL history than, and will go down probably as the greatest quarterback of all time, at least in this generation. And a guy says, he's achieved it all. But he says, there's got to be more to life than this, right? And this is what we see in Lydia. We see that all these things are not bringing her peace. They're not bringing her joy. They're not bringing her contentment. These things that only God can give us. And Mark 10, 25 says, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, this is what happens. When we build wealth, we build fame, we build fortune, we build influence, we start resting in that. And we think that's, that's somehow, again, appeasing us. But can I tell you something? It does nothing in the end. It, oh, it'll bring a little bit of comfort for a while. But in the end, again, it will do nothing for your soul. It does nothing to bring you peace eternally. And so we see just this. We see ultimately, though, the simple teaching and preaching of the gospel to Lydia. And it says what? It says that when she, uh, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And we see evidence of her faith by being baptized. Baptism had a whole different level of um, commitment, I think, in these days. Because when you did it, you did it publicly, but you did it usually out in the open, and people saw it. In other words, you were saying you were announcing every other God, and you were believing the one true living God in his son, Jesus Christ. And there was alienation, there was cut off from your family, much like it is in a Muslim country today. When you, when you um, put faith in Christ, I'll never forget when we were in Egypt in 2003, we met a, a, a young man who was married and had a small son, our young son in elementary school. And there, if you were born a Muslim, you stayed a Muslim. You had a Muslim card. 
And you can never convert that card, if you will, or your status to being a Christian. Of course, if you're a Christian and had the Christian card, you could turn to Muslim anytime you wanted because, again, people, the Muslim country, sure, that's a good idea. You're a smart man, you're a smart woman, do that. So he had to continue to send his kids to a mosque, how to get educated, and, of course, teach them everything about Allah and the faith of being a Muslim. And every day he had to, if you will, reprogram his son. And I remember telling stories about how he had to move every six months because he would get acid thrown on him. They would chase him down and try to beat him and his family. And think about this place where you're in a culture that it really means something to make a commitment to Christ. And even though I will say there are times in our culture and even in America now that we're, we're paying a price and there's been more martyrs for Christians in the last, uh, this last century than there has been a lot of other centuries combined. But even in America, we still have got it very easy. The sacrifice that needs to be made many times. But in this culture, it was so different. It really meant something. So we see this. We see Lydia come in the faith. And by the way, I'll hit this a little bit more when we talk about the demon-possessed slave girl. But in our culture, they teach that the gospel and the Bible oppress women. Can I tell you something? That the gospel in Jesus Christ has done more to liberate women than any other thing. Do you realize that? When you read through scripture, they highlight strong, ambitious, go-getter women that are attracted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus went after ladies it's just like he went after men. Okay. Now there's separate roles, and we've talked about that from this pulpit. But God is about liberating and setting people free. And men and women are both made in the very image of God. And he has done more to liberate ladies than anything anyone else has done. Let's read uh, about the, the young slave girl who was demon-possessed. 16 through 18, it says this. And as they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, isn't that, I love the scriptures, they're straightforward, okay? He was done with this. He was done, okay? Becoming greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her, and it came out that very hour, okay? Now, I want you to think about this. This young girl was mocking the work of the kingdom of God and was distracting others from hearing the gospel. What's interesting, though, when you look throughout the New Testament, is that, you know, demonic forces identified Jesus and his followers right away? Isn't that crazy? Now, they're not saved, they're not redeemed, they're not rescued, but they don't ever get it mixed up. The Pharisees never get it right, the religious leaders, but demonic forces identify Jesus, who he is, all right, and identifies Paul and his disciples, but they're on the other side. They're trying to, they're trying to somehow distract, confuse, somehow mock the gospel and the kingdom of God. And what we see is this young lady who was truly enslaved, both by demonic forces and human forces. She was being used 
and abuse for profits of others, right? For others to profit, I should say. Now, I don't think anybody in here, I don't know for sure, but my former demon. But I can tell you this, that there are things in our culture today that are just as devastating. I think about human trafficking. I think about sex trafficking. Do you know, I did a little research, nine out of ten people that are human trafficked or sex trafficked are either females or children. Think about that. Either female or children. The higher number is female, but there's also a portion of those that are kids. So when you think about the evil that goes in our world through human trafficking, through sex trafficking, who are the number one, if you will, um, I guess, victims of that are women and children. And here we see again the gospel redeeming, rescuing, saving this young girl out of that environment. We, as bearers of the gospel and bearers of the good news of Jesus, we need to be going about doing our best to preach the gospel. And a result of that is to do good. And that's to bring justice where there is any. And to go and set the captives free. That means we need to be against things like sex trafficking. We need to be against things like human trafficking. And we need to be advocates for those who cannot speak up for themselves. But what's crazy to me is this. I read once years ago, I think it's still accurate, is that pornography is so intertwined with mainstream companies today that it ceased to exist. That our, that, our, that our country would literally go bankrupt. The stock market would crash. Now you think about that for a moment. How companies out of one side of their mouth, they say they stand up, or people say they stand up, and they think lives matter, right? In the other hand, they use and abuse people, primarily women and children, for their own profit and their own pleasure. And guys, I want, to, I want to challenge us this morning that we have to guard our hearts and our mind. Because anytime we were participate in these kind of activities, we're supporting and we're promoting that. Even if you don't ever pay a dime. Okay? For every click on that site, for every click on that app, is putting money in someone's pocket that are using and abusing people. And we've never been in a time in history where it's so rampant and it's destroying our country from the inside out in our world. And I can tell you that God wants to set not only those people free, but he wants to set us free, okay? And understand that many people are in those things and in those industries. Do you understand they never had the intentions to doing that? That they've been enslaved now by pimps or by pornography producers or now maybe entrapped by drugs and alcohol to a level where they're just deadening their pain, okay? They're being used and abused on every level. And we need to do whatever we can to rescue and redeem the people that are victims of these things. And again, when you look throughout history and you look at the original uh, people who led civil rights movements, who, who led women liberation uh, movements, who led other ones both in the U.S. and across the world, you see at the center of those, you see 
gospel-centered Christians who are going out, okay, wanting to redeem and see the Imago Dei take place, the very image of God to be redeemed and bought back. And so we see Paul sharing the good news with the slave girl and understanding that Jesus values ladies to her personhood by dressing them in public, by speaking to them with respect and compassion, by encouraging to, to believe in him and become a disciple of Jesus. We see this over and over throughout history. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. We see this happening. Let's continue. Verses 19 through 24. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they, um, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put in their feet in the stocks. So I want you to see this. When all of this came about and reform beginning to happen in their culture, what happens? It starts hitting their pocket, right? And so they start losing money. They start losing um, leverage. And what happens? They rise up, they revolt, right? They rise up and revolt against Paul and Silas. And so they literally say, what they're doing is not acceptable in our culture. In other words, people being free, people being liberated, it's not acceptable in our culture. How many times do, in our culture do we call right wrong and wrong right? Now, I'm, uh, hear me. I'm not talking about political stuff. I'm just talking about in our culture today. How many times do we call right wrong and wrong right? And this is what you see right here. You see this in Philippi. You see them, the culture saying what is right and what God is for, we're against. And what you're against, we're for. I just wonder if today we're coming to that point in culture many times that we are standing up against those things that our culture is calling right, and we're for those things that they are against. By the way, I will encourage you this. Be for things. The world already knows what we're against. So we're for life, okay? I went to a, a, um, a lunch this week at uh, the Women's Choice Center in Fredericksburg. And they're for life. We're for life. We're Christians. We should be for life, right? Doing everything we can to promote life. And I think many times people know what we're against instead of what we're for. But we need to be for the gospel. We need to be for freedom, for justice, for life. And so we see in 2 Timothy 3.12, it says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, if you're going to follow Jesus... There's going to be times of persecution. There's going to be times of trial. There's going to be times where you go through rough moments in your life. 
He says, you must pick up your cross and follow him. Suffering, listen, suffering can mean persecution. It can mean sacrifice. It can mean trials. It can mean even a lack of acceptance in our culture. I get that. I get that. I haven't always been a pastor. I haven't always worked, if you will, in a Christian environment. I worked secular jobs. I knew what it was to be around people that talked with raunchy language and would say raunchy things. Okay? I knew what it was like for, to be kind of persecuted for your faith or looked down upon because you believed in Jesus, right? And you try to follow him. So understand that in our culture today, you're going you're gonna to face these things. See, suffering is multifaceted. It comes in different forms. It can be mental suffering. I can tell you this. I believe when Paul says and asks for the thorn to be removed from his side, and it said it was a messenger of Satan. My dad and I have talked about this several times. Now, a lot of people believe it's the blindness, right? I, I, I tend not to believe that. Now, this is, again, one of those non-essential things, okay? I think it was torments of his thoughts. I think, I think Paul was tormented by the fact when he persecuted the early church. He was part of the martyring of believers. And he fought those memories. Again, a messenger of Satan tormented him. So I think many of us can struggle with our mental thoughts of our past, rather things that happened to us, things that we particip actively participated, willfully participated in, things in our past or our sinful nature we did, and we can struggle with these things. We can also struggle physically with things, struggle emotionally with things, even spiritually. So when we talk about suffering and we talk about the things Paul suffered and Silas suffered was for doing good. I get that. But suffering can come in all forms. And it's a part of the walk with Christ. It's, because, it's, it's a part of becoming a follower of Jesus. Again, whoever comes after me must pick up his cross and follow me. The cross is a picture of suffering. And not just any kind of suffering. The worst and most cruel suffering. But see, this is not our home. This is not the place we're going to reside forever. Oh, there's a lot of joy here. It says that we should pray as in heaven shall be on earth. Okay? As it is in heaven, it should be on earth. And we should try to usher in the kingdom of God. But God is going to give us a new body. He's going to give us a new heaven and a new earth one day. This is not our home. And so understanding this world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're ambassadors, if you will. We're some ways like we're sojourners or nomads. So we're passing through this world. Suffering happens, listen, suffering happens even in community. Listen to this. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens, or if you will, sufferings, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know that we're supposed to be there for each other? When we suffer in life, when we struggle in life, when we have these things, we're supposed to be there for each other. Suffering, listen, suffering can equip us for ministry. I believe that God never wastes a hurt. I believe those things that happened to me in the past, either willfully, again, or something that happened to me without my control, God uses for his glory and for my good. I can tell you that when you look at the life of Joseph, that's what he said. All these things, he kept doing the right thing in the, 
and the opposite kept on happening, right? Kept getting thrown in jail, kept getting alienated, sold by his brothers. And what did he say? What, what the enemy or what you intended for evil, God turned to good. I believe that. Suffering prepares us for, listen, for God's glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is what God is preparing us for. So let me ask you, how do you, how do you respond when you experience suffering? I know for me, Friday, I had like the air pull out of me. It was just like, whoosh, I had zero energy. I was such a wimp, okay? I mean, you know, I thought, man, People go through this for weeks at a time. Sometimes people face trials of illness or disease. They may have to face this for years. And I was just facing it for a couple days, and I just, like, such a wimp. Like, what if I really had to go through something really hard? What would happen? I need to start just going to two days for football practice or something again to toughen me up. I don't know, but it just is one of those things where I thought, wow, suffering, you know, and I've got a comfortable bed, and I've got medicine I can take. What if I was in a foreign country or a place that was a third world, and I wasn't able to even get water, and I couldn't get up and go get myself something to drink? How tough that would be. But understanding, how do we respond to suffering? How do we respond to God during trials? See, listen, we need to understand that God is both the God of suffering and the supernatural. Listen to that. God is both the God of suffering and the God of supernatural. We see this right here. What do we see? We see immediately, we see Paul and Silas get beaten. By the way, uh, the Jew, Jews had a law. They could only beat so many times. The Romans didn't have that, okay? And it literally says that they were beaten on bare backs. I don't know about you, <clears throat> but I've had um, a few switches on my legs before <laughs> without pants on. The metal side of flask water, okay? You know what I'm talking about? You guys know exactly. That's not any hint toward my parents at all, but I probably deserved a lot more than that, I promise you, okay? <clears throat> I can always count on her. Um, but think about a beating with like a... Beat until you're bloody and bruised, ripped open, and then thrown, listen, thrown into inner prison. By the way, that was probably... This idea of that the lower part, I went, went through um, Israel and Jerusalem several years back, and I got to go to a place where they believe that they put Jesus the night of his trial, and it was down in this, all the way in the bottom of this prison, right, where they have to literally lower you down. And by the way, that's where everything that fluid runs, you can imagine what that was like, and then put in stocks, where the more you move, the more you wiggle, the tighter it got and the more uncomfortable it got so this guy did not get any orders to do that he just got orders to put in prison so i want you to think about this we know from history that this guy who was a jailer most likely a retired roman soldier who was given uh if you will a gift of running these prison as a retirement way of kind of retiring in philippi and so he was entrusted but think about this a guy who was a soldier in the roman empire who was a veteran who saw some nasty wars. Not only had he been, saw some nasty things, he'd probably done some terrible things. 
Now, you think about in our culture today where we've experienced, at least since I've been alive, uh, there's been, when I was just a child, the Vietnam War, right? And then, uh, again, forgive me if I missed some of these. Um, then we've had the first Gulf, the second Gulf, and now we, we have this battle on terrorism, right? And so you have all these men and women that have faced battlefield experiences where they come back, and for years we called it all, we, I don't know if we had a label for it, now we call it PTSD, but people who experienced these things saw it and they maybe participated in things that they wish they could forget, okay? And you see this guy who, in some ways, I think has taken his frustration out on them and just saying, not am I going to put them in the center, I'm going to put them in torturous uh, tools to make them suffer even more. This is what we see happening with the jailer, okay? So let's, let's pick up there. This is verses 25 <clears throat> through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. I want you to underline or circle that. Praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembled with fear. He fell down, Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? <coughs> Excuse me. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed the wounds, and he was baptized at once, and he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. Now, what did I say? God is both the God of, the, of suffering and the supernatural. So Paul and Silas were they any less believers or Christians when they were suffered? When they, when they got beaten and thrown into jail and the inner parts of that and were tormented by being in shackles? Were they any le- was their faith any less? No. <clears throat> were they any greater Christians because they've been set free by a supernatural event of God? Absolutely not. God chooses to do what he wants to do. We live for him, Okay. He's sovereign. <laughs> Anytime we get in a position where we start telling God what is right and what's wrong, we're just taken right back to Adam and Eve, right? The minute we tell him he's withholding something that's good for us and we'll need to go and take it, when he says, that's not what I'm withholding, I'm saying, don't go there, don't do that, we're going right back to Eve. We're getting to judge what's right and wrong and say, God, we don't care what you have to say, we're smarter than you. We both we both suppress your truth and we deny and we say your character we cannot trust. In other words, you can't trust God. Now, think about that. So, understand the conversion of the jailer. God, listen, 
God places us in people's lives that are experiencing trials where they are looking for answers. Do you know that? I'm not sure if this jailer was actually saying, what must I do to be saved, to be like born again? I think he was saying, what must I do to get myself out of this mess that just happened? See what I'm saying? Like what just happened? I don't know, but you needed to go away. Like what must I do? Because what he knew was this. If any of the prisoners left, it was called an eye for an eye, a life for a life. So he knew as a veteran that the reason he was going to kill himself because he knew his life was going to be taken. He was a man of honor. He was just going to go ahead and do it himself. Right? But listen, Paul knew his greatest need was not to get out of this situation, but to be saved, to be rescued. And get, listen, I want you to hear me. There's going to be times where you are invited into people's lives or you happen to be there at that moment and people are going to say, what did I do wrong? What can I do to get myself out of this? And you're going to get the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and let them understand their greatest news or their greatest uh, problem is not their circumstances, it's their spiritual condition. See, spirit, people's spiritual condition is the biggest issue, not their present situation. I, I wrote down this. God wants to rescue us from our sins and ourselves, not our situation. That's what he wants to do. And this is what he was saying. Now, again, let's look back on this big picture. We see a lady who was Asian, who was a native Greek. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Asian, who was wealthy, who was a God-fearer. And God presented the gospel through Paul and Silas in a public way, and they were redeemed. They were rescued. Then we see this lady who was a native Greek, who was poor, who was tormented by an evil spirit, and both in chains demonically, spiritually, and physically. And listen, a dramatic exorcism took place, and she was born again. Okay? And then we see this Roman blue-collar, principal and honor-driven guy who had a powerful miracle take place in his life. And a guy who probably struggled with a lot of things, probably including anger. And he was set free. He was born again. And how do we know that? Because each one of them had a changed life. The Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and new has come. So I want to ask this big question this morning. We're finishing up a little early because we're going to spend some time in prayer right after our invitation. But I want to ask you this big question this morning. Have you written people off that you think cannot be rescued, redeemed, maybe even including yourself? Are there people that you think, well, they just got way too much money. They're way too successful. They're way too much influential. Uh, they've got too many things. God is not going to be able to get through to them. The God, they're not interested in the gospel. Can I encourage you to know every one of us comes to a point in our life when we realize we don't measure up. Measure up to what? Measure up that we know innately in our hearts and mind that there is a God. There is a God out there. And that we can never measure up to his perfection. That's why he had to send his son for us. 
And, and what if there's some person that you know who's strung out on drugs, who's a drunk, who, who spend their life just ravishing their body because of the short pleasures of this world. And you think, they're at the bottom of the bottom. There's no way God's going to give their attention. Can I tell you something? We see in Scripture today that can happen. Or maybe a guy who's just hardened. Maybe it's from the military. Maybe it's from life. Maybe it's from being who didn't have a dad or an abusive dad or a, a young lady, same thing, experienced, that said, no way. Can I tell you something? God is in the business of redeeming and rescuing lives no matter where you're at or what your background looks like. Would you stand? I want to ask you if there's anyone in this room that's like that. Somehow, you feel like you cannot be forgiven by God. God wants to redeem you, wants to rescue, wants to save you. We're going to pray in just a few minutes. There's going to be people up front. If you want to be prayed for or prayed with, you want to be encouraged, you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, get baptized, be a part of our fellowship, we want you to come. We want you to share with you how that can happen. Father in heaven, thank you so much for our day. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that here in the business of saving jacked up people like me and the people in this room, God, we're all broken. God, help us to see ourselves in the scriptures. But God, most of all, help us to see the good news of Jesus Christ who's redeeming and rescuing and still in the business of doing that today. In Jesus' name, amen.